let's be honest, deconstruction is hard. It's a journey that takes you from having life neatly wrapped up in a church-shaped box to pulling at that one thread of belief, to holding a ball of twine in your hand and going, well, there goes that neat, tidy tapestry of belief. Where do I go to from here? There's anger and grief and sadness. There can be fear. And when people tell me they're deconstructing, often I feel compelled to apologize because I know it's that hard. But I also know that you can't make someone deconstruct nor can you unpop the great evangelical bubble. Once that's gone for you and you start to see the bad theology and the abuses and the toxic power dynamics, unless of course you're lucky enough to go to a perfect, beautiful, egalitarian, supportive, untoxic church, you really can't unsay it. And I'd like to take this moment to congratulate myself on using so many mixed metaphors in just two paragraphs of this intro, so I'm sorry about that. But anyway, here's the thing. Deconstruction is serious and life-altering. It can be emotionally grueling. So finding humour and community wherever and whenever you can is important. I do what I do on this podcast because hearing and sharing stories gives us a way to connect and find pseudo-community within those first months or even years when we need to hear that we are normal, that we're okay, that we can reinvent our faith if we choose to have one, that we can reinvent our personal ethics and the way we live life and parent our children, and of course, the way we recover and work through what a lot of us sustain within our experiences with a toxic church, and that's religious trauma and even PTSD. So I love the work of Carissa from Angry Church Kid because her work gives us a chance to laugh at some of the things we go through as deconstructing ex-Christians or post-Christians. She brings irreverence and humour to this space that is so greatly needed. Her fearlessness and no-nonsense logic is refreshing. So I hope you enjoy this session where we talk about parenting, boobs, sexual repression in worship songs, why everything is a dick joke. And it goes without saying that this episode is a little bit explicit and has some swears in it, um, but hey, that's how I roll, so enjoy it. I am Kit Kennedy, and this is Unchurchable. Yeah, I've never been afraid of the low neckline. It's always just been like, um, like shoulders. I Even if it's like a classy... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, like tank top, I can't bring myself to wear it to work. Yeah, Even those evil like shoulders. A, a very prefer- yeah, but I wasn't raised in in a, like my church was fine with shoulders. We wore really tank top dresses. Yeah, it's very strange. I just feel like shoulders aren't professional. But nobody in my life has ever told me that. I just feel like I'm underdressed. If I don't because have a- in America, purity culture had a different kind of pervasiveness culturally than what it did in Australia. I mean, okay. Tell me your experience with that. Yeah. Um, So in Australia, if, (laughs) if you weren't in church, you got sex ed in classes that wasn't abstinence only you got Uh and I mean, we're Australian, we're an Island nation and you know, most of our populated areas are, um, you know, up and down the coastal kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously a few yeah, hundred the whole in. inland is completely inhabit- uninhabitable. Yeah. yeah. So we'd, you, you know, you either wear a bikini to the beach because you're normal or you wear the full, 
full neck to knee. Like you've got your rash vest sure. that comes sure. right up to your chin and you've got your What's that, like the burkini? And, yeah, just about. I mean, <laughs> honor thy brother. Who still takes his shirt off because, you know, purity culture doesn't Man to- nipples are more holy than woman nipples. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so that's us. But, you know, uh, I'm going to introduce you first now that we've just jumped into this conversation. <laughs> I mean, we're just jumping into cleavage and shoulders and nipples. Like, yeah, it's just a yes, good transition. The, I knew I'd get along with you. This is all the good stuff in life. So, look, um, the deconstruction space can be a very serious space. Um, and when I saw your account pop up, which has grown rather quickly, um, yeah, it is. <laughs> freaked out by that much um it was the humor that I loved about it um so I'm talking today to Carissa aka angry church kid tell me a bit about yourself and how you got into this all right um yeah the humor was a was is a big part for me because I don't care about <laughs> the spiritual side of things anymore uh I you know beautiful. I came from the whole gamut, the whole, like, I was immersed in church from when I was in diapers up through when I had my first kid. And just, I mean, there was a whole devolution of what my faith journey looked like. But for 25 years of my life, I was all in, I was fully and completely devoted to my identity in Jesus Christ and my identity in the church. And that permeated every part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, I have always had a very dirty sense of humor. I always joke that I'm a 12 year old boy. Um, (laughs) And so when I deconstructed, I no longer had that like personal check on myself where, you know, okay, maybe I should reel it in. I need to be ladylike. I need to, you know, sex jokes aren't appropriate there. That's not what good kids do. And I'm like, well, guess what? I'm going to buy a mug with penises on it. And I'm going to use that for my work meetings every day because I fucking can. The funny parts of this whole like deconstruction space was you know, you got to laugh at your pain. Otherwise you're just too serious and it's not fun to be around. And I'm all about being fun to be around. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because, you know, we have that, that, that colloquialism. um, If you don't laugh, you'll cry. Um, And there's, there's a lot of kind of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Just sorry to quote a very hellish scripture when we're talking about deconstruction, but um, yeah, it's painful to go through. Um, and some days I've looked at my Twitter feed and gone, nah, can't do it today. Um, so the the humour, I think, is part of the healing. It's learning to laugh at things. Um, yeah. It's funny that suppression of a dirty sense of humour, <laughs> yeah, look, can relate. A couple of my best friends, um, one, one being my ex-husband, um, so deconstructed, um, actually, both of my best friends are gay, including my ex-husband. Um, oh. And they, the dirty sense of humour is what, being one of the first things to kind of re-emerge because there's this realisation that surely if there's a God and he's concerned with all of the things, then should he be really micromanaging whether or not I have sex toys or or whether or not I'm letting a few kind of (laughs) dirty jokes go your butthole yeah exactly (laughs) 
but the, there is regret though because um, over this kind of dirty sense of humour re-emerging because him, we've got these wonderful neighbours who live six doors down, or I do, I have wonderful neighbours who live six doors down, and when my ex-husband and Matt get together, my gosh, the, the, the jokes are just like <laughs> by the end I'm like, okay, all right, okay, yep. this is yep. enough now. <laughs> That's a good friend of ours. Anytime we have game night, he grew up Catholic and like the, our, our spouses and friends that are all with us at the time, they just roll their eyes and like, oh my God, you too. Like everything (laughs) can be turned into a penis joke. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's how I roll. And it's okay. Have you been struck by lightning yet? (laughs) No, um, I have gotten talked to in at work I was telling you before we started recording I'm I'm uh, IT at a real estate company and uh, I teach classes I I like to tell people that I teach millionaires how to use their computers (laughs) these realtors I'm like how did you get as far as you got not knowing what a tab is (laughs) you don't know where the refresh button is (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that's fun. But in that in that vein, I've taught classes and I've been, you know, up at the podium teaching this class about whatever tool we're using or whatever and I make some joke. I don't even remember saying anything jokey or inappropriate, but I've I've gotten pulled aside after class a couple times an agent older, always older women like um uh-huh what you said was a little inappropriate for this kind of an environment. And, you know, some people may not appreciate it. I'm like, okay, well, those some people can come and talk to me directly instead yeah. of this like imaginary idea of who might be offended. But definitely thank you for your concern, Karen. I yeah, Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so look, you've said it's the first 25 years of your life, you're immersed in, in, in kind of the whole evangelical thing. And for part of that, obviously you got married and had a kid so you must have been part of the get married as soon as you you know you yeah you got married very young I did my husband and I started dating in youth group when we were 18 so this is the second oh. half of our our final high school year mm-hmm. and then had our first kid two years after we got married so wow. we were 21 when we got married and 23, 23 when we had our first kid yeah wow that is amazing so how do you get from there to not caring about, yeah, the, and I, I kind of, I laugh about, I laugh when I see your moniker of angry church kid because anger doesn't come across as much as just, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I started it as angry church kid because I'm angry at the church for what they're still continuing to do to people. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it started so long ago, like the Crusades, right? That mm-hmm. was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. People have been, the church has been brainwashing people for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm angry that they took my youth from me, yeah. but I did it willingly. Yeah. Um, also that I wasn't allowed to be angry in my household growing up. Um, yes. If you were mad, it's because you misunderstood what somebody else said. Mm-hmm. or you're misunderstanding the situation or you're being dramatic or it wasn't actually that big of a deal. So yeah. me me labeling myself angry church kid is saying, no, it's okay if I'm angry sometimes. And it's yeah. okay if I'm angry at the church because the church is fucked up and the church has done fucked up things. And I'm angry about that. And it's okay that I'm angry about that. I don't sit here and wallow in a puddle of anger. Um, 
you know, I'll, I'll get heated pretty quick if you're going to like come at me with something that I've dealt with and come through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to delete a couple of comments today and a couple of DMS without like accepting them because they're just coming at me with like, Oh, you must not have understood Jesus. I'm like, no, no, no. I understood it perfectly well. Thanks. You can fuck off. Yes. So that's when I get angry. Mm. But other than that, it's, it's, mostly just yeah I was a church kid and it's okay that I get angry sometimes but I'm gonna joke about it yeah no but reclaiming anger um is actually a really important part I think of of healing because I don't know whether this is your experience but um well it sounds like it is positive emotion and negative emotion kind of Mm -hmm. split up whereas now when you start to understand psychology a little bit more, it's just emotion. It's just a limbic reaction and it's, it helps us process what's going on behind. It helps protect us from, you know, situations we need to get out of or, situ- you know, it helps us engage with life. Emotion helps us engage with life. So if we're cutting off half of that and only allowing ourselves to feel uh, positive emotion, acceptable emotion. Um, yeah, like it, that, that was my experience. Actually learning anger again, learning to put anger in its place yeah. again has been a little tricky, um, a little bit of an adventure. <laughs> and then parenting my kids in a way that they have emotional literacy is fun. Yes. How have yeah. you found How that? Kids? Uh, three and four because planning is clearly uh, counting is, <laughs> is is clearly my strong suit. Counting is hard. <laughs> yes, awesome. three and four. Three, three and four. And four. Yeah, long grass, sister. We're in the long grass. <laughs> yes. Yeah, mine are eight and ten, both girls, mm-hmm. and I, I think just coming from the society that I grew up in I'm I'm, I I don't want to speak for you but that girls have emotions Mm, like that's that's just a given right I I feel really bad for people coming out of um the church culture with boys because they have to add in that piece also where Mm -hmm. it's okay for boys to feel sad and feel heartbroken yeah um and for boys to have big like joyful, gleeful moments, as well as just being crazy, right? Like the yeah, yeah, stereotype yeah. is that little boys are crazy and little girls are emotional. Well, there, there's a lot of intermingling there and, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, like yeah, yeah. boys have emotions. Also, did we breed that out of them? Not breed, but like, did we raise them out of that through our culture? So I feel fortunate in that my girls, I, I don't have to battle with that part, but I definitely find myself like dismissing their negative emotions and Mm. then going, wait, 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 wait. It's okay for you to feel sad. Feel sad. This is a sad thing. Yes. You are angry and it is absolutely, I understand why you're angry. Feel angry. Let me know when you're calm and we can discuss it. So I have to stop myself. I have to be very conscious about when they're having a tantrum or they're having a breakdown or, you know, some meltdown over something really, really stupid. <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> because to them, mean. it's a big deal, right? They're not going to trust me with the the big issues when they're older if they couldn't trust me with the little issues when they were little because when they were little, those were the big issues. Those have always been big to them. Yeah. So I, yeah. I had to, you know, I have to be very conscious that I'm yes. not falling back on that, like, 
oh well it's okay because you can look on the bright side which is how i was raised yeah it's it's subtle kind of reparenting of yourself isn't it like mm -hmm. Um, I, I used to cringe when, you know, people use these buzzwords and I was like, oh, God, okay, reparenting, fine, okay, can't really do that, but whatever. Um, but then I found no, I myself it. really going, oh, okay, this is what I needed when I was younger um, and how am I, I going to do this differently with my own kids? And, um, mm -hmm. like, yeah, and I get a little bit, a little, I get a little bit pissy at the stereotype <laughs> that, that girls, like, you know, cry like a girl. Mm -hmm. um, because having one of each <laughs> and speaking mm -hmm. to a lot of other parents of boys, um, boys are actually quite emotional, for, especially for the first seven years. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be a life stage thing and girls are kind of, a, they're less emotional and then it switches. So this cry like a girl thing, I'm like, mm, do we have to brand it that way? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm also finding it quite difficult because my, my daughter, my little angel, she did not have terrible twos. Mm. But no, boy. terrible twos is a lie. Yeah. It's three ages though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's gratifying. Three-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> And, and finding it like just watching her feel these big emotions and she's so smart. Like mm. I asked God for smart children in hindsight. I should have asked him for potatoes. Because <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, please bring me calm children. <laughs> <laughs> just, just laissez-faire. Just, yeah. yeah. She's, she's whip smart and she knows which buttons to press. But it's sitting and watching and going, okay, what's the tantrum? And and what is it when she actually needs me to hold space for her and and help her through these big emotions mm -hmm. and help her learn what to do with with them is yeah, yeah it's super interesting. So I'm learning that one's a mofo. That's uh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like which one is for attention and which one's actually you're just you're all up in your feelings right now. Yeah, yeah. And we need to talk you off the ledge. We need bit. to just just you know <laughs> yeah Move so three to five stages of grief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All in one kind of tumultuous mm -hmm. moment of parenting. So I want to know how you got to a point of not caring. Because that that's a whole journey and it's a tricky one for people. So talk to us. Carissa. I wish it was more interesting than it is. <laughs> um, what I will say is that it all started when we moved away. We moved probably 20 miles farther than my than we had been, uh -huh. 20 miles away from my church than we had been. Right. Um, like I said, from diaperhood up till I was in my 20s. We were plugged into church. I ran AV for Sunday mornings. I ran AV for youth group. I was a youth leader for seven years. My husband was a youth leader with me. We went to camps. We led Bible study. Um, I told kids in my high school not to swear around me because I was very sensitive and it, and it bothered me. And, um, you know, I told my friends, you should wait until you're married to have sex because that's what God made you for. And blah, blah, blah. Like I was in it. Right. I was a hundred percent all for it. Um, and then when I had my first kid, I kind of had to pull out of youth group because, you know, it's, I had a newborn, like I, yeah. I came occasionally with her, I'd bring her with me sometimes, but it just wasn't practical. Like, yeah, you know, she's, she's a baby. She cries and I can't sit there at the, the, snack stand the whole night. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to start skipping. And our church was going through kind of a transition at the time of leadership where our youth leader 
went up as the associate pastor of the church. And so sure. one of us, one of our like core group of like eight kids that we were super close with, we were all leaders together. Um, one of ours went to Bible college and came back and he was kind of promoted as yeah. the youth pastor right. of the church. Um, so there was a real power struggle between him and my husband uh-huh. who were best friends since seventh grade, um, where he took everything my husband or I said as a challenge. And we were like, right. no, man, we're just like, we're coming up with ideas like we always have. Um, so there was this clash of, of personalities and he was kind of treating my husband like garbage and, um, just everything was a fight and it was difficult and yeah, uh, blah, blah. So anyway, there was this friction that we had never felt before. And then we moved 20 miles away or so just to be closer to my husband's job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so my husband started pulling out of youth and I pulled out of youth cause I had a newborn. We didn't go to church on Sundays as much because we were so far away. Yeah. And then nobody called us. Oh, like, the the deconstruction community has said it in so many beautiful ways but one of my favorites is the silence was deafening yeah yeah um i started having doubts about the validity of the bible and why do we base our faith on this thing you know xyz i'll get into that in Mm. a minute but i started having doubts a couple years before that and then when we pulled out and nobody talked to us, it was like, okay, well, I have these doubts that haven't been answered. Yeah. I'm an extremely logical person. So I need logic. I need things to make sense. And when things yeah. aren't making sense and nobody else can explain it to me, I'm like, well, this is probably bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we pulled out of youth, we pulled out of church kind of on accident. And that really was the catalyst for us to examine why we believed what we believed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in the case of nobody calling us, that was, I guess, going to church was was fulfilling kind of three needs in our life, yeah. I guess. It was fulfilling yeah. the social need, the spiritual need, and the usefulness need. Like, I yeah. needed to be useful in yeah. my sphere, my chosen family. Um, you know, our spirituality I always felt like I needed to be connected to that because that's what I grew mm-hmm. up in. I didn't know any different. And then the social aspect of everything, like I said, it was my chosen family. Yeah. Um, so when you take away, I'm not helpful in church anymore. And you take away the uh, social aspect of it because nobody's calling, then all I'm left with <laughs> is the spirituality of it. Um, I, I wish my three fingers to say this. <laughs> yes. So in orders. Yeah. Well, they're listening, so they can't see. They so. can't see, but she's been left with the middle finger and I love it. <laughs> so um, that left the spirituality of it. And then yeah. so thinking through, if I don't believe that the Bible is a definitive source of truth and inerrancy, hmm then all that's left is God because God can exist outside of the Bible. Yeah. Um, so how do I feel about God? And what I've determined in the 10 years since then yeah. is either he can't intervene in injustice and suffering or he chooses not to. Mm. So either he's not all powerful 
or he's not all good. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, why is he any better than a human or just some amorphous nebulous idea that doesn't affect my life? Yeah, that's a that's a really good way of putting it. Um, People ask me sometimes, are you a Christian? And I'm like, "Uh, today? Um." (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's pouring again from the bottle of I should it's before lunch here. So I, I left my bottle of red wine on the, I, I work from home, so, you know, it's fine. Nobody's going to catch me day drinking. <laughs> it's 8.40 at night here. It's wine time. You go, girl, wine time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Let's pull those, those three things apart. So mm-hmm. um, the, the non-contact, even though your, your withdrawal from church was accidental, um, this is a big thing that people have said within religious communities or deconstruction communities is is that yeah the silence is deafening I left and nobody called me it's like the church is assuming that we're combative when all we are is needy yes yep yeah so yeah and and looking at it from no that's that's exactly Mm. perfectly right looking at it from the other perspective because I'd definitely been in the other seat before where friends of mine that we had grown up in the church together they left for one reason yeah. or another. They went to a secular college and just didn't come back to church. I assumed, because I was still plugged into the church, I assumed they didn't want to hear from me because I was annoying. Yeah. Like, they didn't want me to call them. Be, they'd be rolling their eyes like, oh, Carissa's just calling to mm-hmm. talk about God and talk me into going back to church. And yeah. I don't want to talk to her. I assumed that. There yeah. was no reason for me to believe that except that that really was my motivation for talking Mm. to people who weren't churchgoers. Ah, yeah. And this is, this is an interesting thing because I mean, you're talking to a pastor's daughter here and um, just this week, actually, my family's been in the news, (laughs) which I love. Um, Note the sarcasm. I hate it Mm. (laughs) because they've been um, accused of taking, of undertaking um, gay conversion practices. And uh, one of the people telling the story is my best friend. And I can one hundred. Is it accurate? Oh yeah, it's accurate. Oh okay. Um, but they they've denied. They say they don't run conversion therapy, and they're right. They don't run conversion therapy, but that's not what all, what conversion practices are. You you don't go and refer yourself to a somebody who's going to cure you of your homosexuality you do it on advice from a pastor or you do it because you've got deep internalized homophobia Mm -hmm. that you've learned from sitting in church and hearing these things and and being like counseled like this is what what my state has put forward in um in legislation is that conversion practices Mm -hmm. includes kind of exorcisms includes you know deliverance ministry to rid you of the spirit of homosexuality includes all these different things and so i do definitely stand by my uh, friend's story but it's interesting watching the denials of church when it comes to you know we, we didn't do this and it's like oh like, you know I don't think people really believe the church anymore when it says and I'm using capital C church yeah <laughs> yeah, think, yeah absolutely yeah, I don't think they really believe anymore um, when a church denies wrongdoing I mean we saw that kind of Jerry and Becky Falwell thing from <laughs> Liberty University Hill song, anything. But what I, I guess what I'm getting at is the brainwashing that you mm-hmm. um that you you used that word earlier. 
um, the church has been brainwashing people for a long time. And also that sense of I was on the inside, I was part of this system, I know how it operates, to all of a sudden being on the outside and knowing what the game is, knowing what's going on and kind of grappling with your own guilt almost of yeah absolutely of of constantly trying to convert people instead of actually caring about what they have to say I Mm. had an argument for like I could still play a very convincing Christian arguing (laughs) against anything that you say because it's so deeply ingrained in me I can argue anything yeah you know I can I have the verses down I have the apologetics down I have the context down and I didn't even go to bible college (laughs) yeah yeah that's the thing isn't it like we know we know the arguments we know the context we know you know all of these things because it was so deeply in it um that can can result in a bit of guilt when you're kind of deconstructing your way out how was that for you did you kind of wrestle with that when you kind of started pulling at that thread of oh maybe um Maybe it's yeah, bullshit. definitely have mm. some some leftover guilt for the youth kids that I led. I like to hope that they took my message as one of love that I cared about yeah, them and yeah. I wanted them to live a full and hurt free life because again, yes. negative emotions are bad and we want to avoid them at all costs. So I was trying <laughs> to lead them into a life that could avoid negative emotions. Yeah. Um not I don't think that I ever leaned hard on the shame you'll go to hell part of things. Um, I'm sure that I've blocked out bad conversations, (laughs) but from my memory of everything, the interactions that I had with my students, I loved them so much. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to see them thrive and be as happy as I was. Yeah. Living, you know, quote, pure. Yes, living pure. Mm-hmm. Amen, sister. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back. You said that your two best friends are gay and that your family's church um, participated in totally not the, uh, conversion therapy. <laughs> wink, wink. Yes, yes, totally um, doesn't do it. The, totally doesn't do it. <laughs> my sister is gay and she mm. came out when I was 16. Yeah. Um, she had been married for a few years to a man that she, uh, my parents made them get married because she got pregnant at 17 mm-hmm. and, um, she had her first son a week before she turned 18. My parents oh, made them get married. She joined the military or he joined the military because, you know, 18 year old has no money. Um, wow, she, God. they moved up to Ohio and then they moved to Arkansas and she got a job because they were broke at a bar. And that's uh-huh. where she met her girlfriend, Uh, She and her husband got a divorce. She came up to visit us in Seattle and brought her girlfriend and said, hey, guys, I'm actually gay. This is my girlfriend. We met at the bar we work at and we have been dating for months. Well, that is ballsy. Yes. Bravo, (laughs) sister. That is amazing. Yeah. And she had two boys at the time and her her now wife, um, Mm. her girlfriend, uh, had one boy from a previous relationship. So between the two of them, they had three sons. And so we were put in this position of not only accepting her, but also accepting this new nephew yeah. that we didn't know existed. Yeah. And up until then, I had I had always thought that being gay was a sin. And how could you just give into this? How could you give up everything about yeah. you, you know, that you've always known and, and that we've known about you um, to just say that you're gay you're not nobody's actually gay they're just pretending they're just doing it for attention it's just just like any other bad impulse you just have to like 
just pray it away. Just pray it away. Have a bit, right. bit of be anointed with a bit of myrrh from Jerusalem. Maybe we'll do a little exactly. bit of an exorcism and and tell you exactly. to take your pink posters down, like all, all of that stuff. <laughs> well, she's she's slightly older than me, so hers were uh, like Natalie and Bruglia and uh, Fiona Apple. You know, oh my gosh, I've never heard my mom. Natalie and Bruglia is an Australian, so. Mm-hmm. Bravo. Um, yeah. get that. <laughs> so when she came out, I then went to my pastors because I had been like toiling about this. I'm yeah. like, they really seem to love each other and they really seem to bring out the best in each other. She's never yeah. been this like even keeled. She'd always been just yeah. wildly like unpredictable. Yeah. Um, she's since learned that she's got some bipolar tendencies. Yeah. Um, her doctor's like, I don't know. You're not really bipolar but you kind of are you're like on the cusp so she's got some bipolar tendencies we didn't know that at the time Um, so I always thought that she was just doing everything for attention that is interesting you say that because not the first time I've heard mm -hmm. that said about somebody who was closeted in the church Mm -hmm. uh, or they're doing it for attention and what I've learned um, through listening to you know hours and hours of, of working with my husband as he came to terms with his sexuality, um, is it, gay is not something you do. It's something you mm. are. And if you're hiding from that, um, you know, like it, it would be completely impossible for me to find mm-hmm. a woman attractive because, I mean, not uh, it would be completely impossible for me to be attracted to a woman, even though I can tell Sexually, you right now, sure. mm-hmm. I think, you know, Angelina Jolie, when she was a little bit curvier, hot, you know, yeah. Salma Hayek, hot. Oh, yeah. women are gorgeous. Women are gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. But I don't want to be in a romantic relationship with a woman. Like the thought of having sex with a woman doesn't no. do anything to me. No. So I imagine- like looking at boobs just like I like looking at artwork. Like they're nice. They're pretty. They're symmetrical. I, I mm-hmm. enjoy that, but I don't. Yeah, definitely. I, I always tell people I'm like 72% straight. <laughs> 72% straight. Here's, here's the thing. I think objectively we can agree that boobs are more attractive than a dick. Um, so much. So much. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think that like when it comes to this whole world of online dating, like I don't want a dick pic. It doesn't mean I'm gay. I just don't want to see it. Like, you know, oh, but I don't. I can, I can I'm a fan it. of what they can accomplish in my life. <laughs> yes. But I don't, amen. I don't, they're not, I don't want to hang one on my wall. No, just no. <laughs> yeah so, I feel so, you there I feel you there so it's not something you do it's not something yeah. it's something you are and and hiding that for years mm-hmm. creates yeah so my sister always says internal pressure that she was doing everything for attention because she was inventing problems to distract from her identity crisis oh completely so that's what you know she's she's gone through a lot of yeah. healing since then yeah so when she came out you know I'm having this like they're really getting along. They're really good for each other. It seems like they're really loving. They're great parents. Um, having a hard time seeing the sin here. Yeah. Sin usually makes sense. Like sin usually has a, a harmful yes. undertone to it, right? Yes. Like someone is on the receiving end of harm. Yes. So I went to my pastor and, or my pastor's wife rather. Um, yeah. And of course, cause I'm not supposed to approach the the male pastors for counseling because I'm Bizarre. a woman. so I go to her and I said my sister is gay she's just come out and come to us um with her girlfriend and I've been doing a lot of thinking 
And I don't understand why the Bible says this is a sin. Yeah. Because we have the definition of love in the Bible, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. That's not the Corinthians verse. Mm-hmm. Um, the wedding and the verse. Bible says, right, the wedding verse. <laughs> and the Bible says God is love. So if God is patient and kind and all of these things, and all of these things are in their relationship, then love is in their relationship and God is in their relationship. So how is this wrong? Yeah. Yep. And her, her answer to me was, well, that's not real love. Uh huh. And that was the first time that I had ever felt internally screaming yeah. at my pastors Yeah. where I was like, how can you not follow the logic that I just laid out? Yeah. Like, how That's can you logic. be so sure that mm-hmm. is solid logic, right? It's yeah. like, I'm using the Bible to back up where I'm going with this. Yeah. And I hear you guys explain shit away with context all the time. Like women don't wear earrings. Men don't shave the corners of your beard. Um, <laughs> women don't speak in church. Like that's Levitical law. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all of the Levitical laws, like there's yeah. nowhere in the Bible that says, don't listen to the laws in Leviticus. Yeah. The, you know, New Testament says I'm the new covenant. And so they always say that, but go like, for it with the bacon. These... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or like mixing fabrics. That's a yes. Levitical thing. We mix fabrics all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, that gave the things spanks, like that, that didn't we... it? <laughs> <sighs> God bless. Thanks. (laughs) But all of these stupid little things that we explain away with context and we don't explain homosexuality with context when like we know at this point that homosexuality, the word didn't exist until the 1940s. The word in Greek refers to laying with a little boy or the word in Aramaic or Hebrew that they use refers to laying with a little boy because that's what rich priests did. They Uh had a servant boy that they slept with. So and God was like, hey, that's tense, rape. She says. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 So why don't we explain the hatred yeah. for LGBTQ community away using biblical context and biblical logic? Yeah. Yeah. I it doesn't make any sense to me. So that was the first time that I ever was like, whoa, the Bible might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I think actually a lot of people start their deconstruction journey on exactly this issue. Um, What is love and why do we have to be so hateful towards LGBT people in it? And, you know, I'm actually, I'm I'm relentlessly proud of the Brave Network over here that's done a lot of work around this legislation, um, talking about what the practices are um, that aren't, courses that aren't on paper that are deniable in a news article um but you know really what you're saying is completely um correct if god is love and if love is all of these things and you can see a relationship where all of these things are present then then where is the sin um mm-hmm. i have to compare this with my, my friend hannah who um she took the fall in the news this week. Um, she's actually yeah. engaged, but the reason she was kind of disfellowshipped, asked to discontinue from church, was because she mm-hmm. she started going out with um, with <clears throat> with someone oh, who was a real bunny boiler, like a real psycho. And what was the word you use? Bunny boiler. <laughs> That's the word we use in Australia. That's the word we use. That? Have you ever seen that, like, I think it came from the movie Single White Female 
like where there was this like stalker kind of like yeah it basically a psycho ex or a psycho okay. stalker is a bunny boiler okay anyway so this this lady was a bunny boiler and I swore that the next time Hannah um started going out with someone I was going to be like a hard ass because whoever Hannah chose to love was going to be like an aunt to my babies mm-hmm. and she told me about this girl and I was like okay I have to hate her until proven otherwise I was like sure full, full protective and <clears throat> Kian turns up to Hannah's uh surprise p- birthday party and she was clearly uncomfortable but she spoke Kian to- is the boy no the girl okay yeah um Kian spoke to all of Hannah's friends and was considerate and didn't make herself center of attention and she made time for the family and like she stayed from beginning to end and I thought oh dear oh fuck I I like her her. (laughs) (laughs) so I made of honor at their wedding in December and I'm so exciting I love weddings so much that's something I'm actually really mad that church culture stole from me is wedding season because we were all married so young yeah. That I missed all of the like big fancy weddings. We weren't allowed to drink at yes. our weddings because our and church wouldn't allow us to drink. Yeah. And then um, and then like we all got married, you know, 21 to 25-ish. And yeah. by the time any of us had any money, we were already married and some of us even divorced. <laughs> and nobody's getting remarried yet. And I've made new <laughs> friends now. So my new friends are getting married like in their early 30s, which was like two or three years ago. <laughs> And I'm like, God damn it. I missed wedding season. Can some of you I get love- divorced again and do this third time? Around? I know, exactly. So I'm oh, like, man, that- like Neil, my husband, I'm like, we should have like a 20 year anniversary, you know, like big wedding, like redo our wedding or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, We've been married 12 years now. So that'd be the next one coming up. And I'm oh, like, I goodness. just want to have a wedding. I just want to have a big party. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, we did. We had a huge wedding. But just it was everyone like, was sober. Everyone was sober. And I was 21 years old. I didn't know anything. And I was yeah. still listening to my mom, you know, when she would tell me to like close my legs sitting on a bench or something uh, like it would just be a completely different yeah atmosphere yeah now yeah. and then no. the speeches would be different too because you'd be letting go of the dirty jokes too as well uh, absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. so so let's go so that the brainwashing thing the mm-hmm. answer for you was logic was really pulling at that thread of mm-hmm. logic did did mm-hmm. you have a moment where you were really afraid of hell yes oh yes i was very afraid of hell i I'm a little bit still, to be yeah. honest with you. Like there's still that little bit of doubt of like, well, what if I'm wrong? Yeah. <laughs> because if I'm wrong, that's going to suck. But I've deconstructed that idea also because if I'm wrong and the absence of the biblical God is what hell is, yeah. I'm completely cool with that because the yeah. biblical God is a dick. <laughs> Yeah, I just. And I'll I, be with friends. Y- yes, my people will be there. <laughs> yeah, I think this the is- idea of like sitting around a fountain worshiping Jesus with people that I don't even recognize were part of my life and I used to love—that's heartbreaking to me. Like worship music right now comes on the radio and I get nauseous. I can't Same. do that. I can't do that forever. 
oh gosh, there's this Twitter thread that you've got to get on, um, which is why do worship songs sound like soft porn? Um, I've, I've seen that. Um, <laughs> do you follow the Dirty Rotten Church Kids? Yes, yes. Okay, so they posted recently a series of videos of TikToks of them um, doing this like worship song generator. Did you see them? <laughs> yes. So okay, good. so I gave them that idea. I texted them and I was like, I found this thing, y'all. And they were like, oh my God, we have to use this. <laughs> so I, I was Googling something completely unrelated for a, a post of mine. I was getting like hmm. examples or whatever. And one of the things that came up was because I was looking for, um, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I was Googling stuff and this this site came up that I had never heard of before. And you just, you plug in a word and then you plug in a mood, you know, like pop, rock, country, rap, whatever. And it generates this song for you. And every word that we used that was like churchy made a song that was like, this could actually be a worship song. Like Bethel would take this and be like, look at this song I wrote, Hillsong. You know, all of them, they sound just like this. Put it over a G chord and a C chord, suspended with some pads. And this is a worship song. yeah. Yeah. And you're spot on with the like repressed sexuality in their <laughs> lyrics. Yeah, I just I was thinking straight away of delirious. Fling wide you heavenly gates. <laughs> Prepare mm-hmm. the way of the risen. Like, okay, yes. here we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and then there's um there's a, a the lyrics um I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, oh, lay just... back against you and breathe, feel your heartbeat. That is so. <laughs> the is... words to, it's so creepy. It's if creepy. you're putting it in the context of a deity. Yeah. I want to, I want to drink at your feet and lay against your heart and your chest. Yes. It's like, dude, you need to get laid is what you need to yes. do. Gosh, and when you, when you think about all of the things that have happened in church and all of the people in church who've done those things, do I want to be in heaven with them? And if the modern iteration of worship songs is where it's at, I do not want to be in an orgy with them either. Nope. <laughs> nope, I'm nope. noping right out of there. Um, I think I lean towards the idea that there's probably just nothing afterwards. Um, but you know, there's, I don't know, there's terminology for it. Like, I think that maybe some people have, have an, have an experience, but I don't think there's a hell experience if I'm, if I'm honest, but nobody can be, you know, nobody can be sure about that. And I think sometimes these dreams and visions, these prophets have, of you know, God revealed hell to me is actually Mm -hmm. an awareness of the internal turmoil that we've constructed for ourselves out of the existential dread we feel if we're going to go against, you know, church. So that's my two cents. I I think it's um, incredibly egocentric to assume that humans are the only ones who have an afterlife. Mm -hmm. We don't look at a dolphin and think, where do they go when they die? What happens to their soul? Do they have a savior? Did Jesus die for their sins? Do they have sin? Yes. Like any other mammal, even when they're incredibly intelligent, yeah. like a pig or a dolphin yeah. or, you know, a, a 
bonobo like they're incredibly yeah. intelligent creatures and we there's really no want... semblance of thought no. that they might have an afterlife or the idea of a soul or a religion even yeah and to think that we're the only ones to think of that is yeah I just think or or, or alien life alien life to that alien. if we find alien life on another planet are we going to assume that they have a religion and they have a God? And is that God our God? Yeah. Is, did Jesus die for their sins? If he's the God of the universe, then that would make sense. But the Bible doesn't mention anything about Jesus dying for aliens. So where are we with that? Like just yeah. the idea of an afterlife is so Christian centric and it's it egotistical. Is. It is. I mean, unless there are all these other planets with sentient life on it and Jesus did have Jesus just had to do a tour de France of just like going to various <laughs> different planets and dying horrible deaths. <laughs> tour de France of <laughs> universal deaths. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe that happened as a possibility. <laughs> it's possible, I guess, but he never says that you know, they never say anything about that yeah. in the Bible. So I feel like if it was God breathed. They would yeah. give us uh, some idea that that might be a thing, <laughs> but there's not. And no, it's there's absurd. Not. There's not. <laughs> and when you start to look at um, other religions, the similarities are so the same. I think I sometimes, most of the time, I think that there is a godish thing. I think there is a god. Yeah. But, but I, I can't call it a he. Sure. I definitely don't think he's that this he, she, whatever. I don't, definitely don't think this being is concerned over whether I swear or whether right. I don't fast forward the sex scenes in movies or, you know, like I definitely oh, don't so think they care about that. so glad that chapter of my life is done. I know, and before Bridgerton came out, it's important. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I could have, I would have stuck with Game of Thrones had it not been for naked Jason Momoa. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> so diving I, into my private time. Well, you know, um the yeah, we used to joke when when Happy and I were still married, we're like, what, what's our celebrity hall pass? And it was like yes. if if Ryan Reynolds is anywhere near either of us, game on. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> like, um, he's anyway. so funny. Yeah, yeah. His funniness is sexy, but he's skinny, and I'm not into skinny. I like the no, I like a, a beefy no. dad bod. Yeah, well, Jason Momoa is my on my list, and um, mm. yeah, um, it's like really on more than my list. <laughs> Did you see that meme that went around during COVID nineteen that was like, "Wash your hands like you're washing Jason Momoa," and the first comment Ooh. underneath it was, "Yeah, but who washes?" <laughs> Who washes their hands with their tongue? <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, we like this. Accurate. Um, and I read a lot of, this is a different sort of a podcast for Unchurchable, but I, I like that we've talked a lot of shit because neither of us has been struck by lightning over the course of this conversation and reclaiming humour I think is a very deep part of reclaiming self. Would you agree? You said deep. <laughs> oh, sorry about my <laughs> microphone. I've really just exploded into that. Not a euphemism, but. 
You see what I mean? Everything is a dick joke. Everything. <laughs> Everything is a dick joke. <laughs> you know what? I think I'm going to title this episode Angry Church oh, Kid. Yeah. Everything is a dick joke. <laughs> oh my God. Please do. Can I? I need a t shirt made of that. <laughs> Yes, this is so good. So um, advice that you'd give people who are starting at the start of this whole deconstruction thing, they're scared out of their wits, they're overwhelmed with the amount of things that just don't line up. What what would you tell people at that point? All right, so there's there's two things that I gravitate towards. Um, one is centered around the emotions part of it, like we mentioned before, um, and I have a I have a little spiel there. And the second part is that, like we were saying, every culture um, in history, every civilization in history, in known history, has had an idea of a god. Yes. So there's got to be something to it. And believing that there's something to it does not make you stupid. You've mm-hmm. not been you know, bamboozled into some idea that's solely for the purpose of control. Yeah. You are connecting to something that your ancestors have all connected to as well. And every other civilization on earth has connected to the idea of a unifying religion and deity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, it's okay to leave it at that. Yeah. There might be a deity. There might not. It's okay if you live in this state of, um, I I had a mentor once that called it um, conscious non-closure. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I like it too, because you are being conscious about not having closure to whatever idea you're exploring at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's going to tie into the emotions of of this, the, the first part that I was mentioning the five stages of grief are going to happen in quick succession over years and repeating steps back and forth in many ways, whatever you're feeling at this moment, feel it in its entirety and just, and say to yourself, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling denial. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling grief. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling angry. Um, I'm finding myself bargaining like, well, God, if you, if you are real, show yourself, these Mm -hmm. are all normal stages to go through. You're giving up a piece of yourself that is enormous and do not let yourself say it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm freaking out over nothing. I'm sure it's fine. You know, everybody has doubts. And, and fall right back into it. Because if you're having these doubts and you're having these five stages of grief, you're going through a loss. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I've heard some people um, say that the grief is like, you know, grief is like this button on the side of a box and you're like a ball bouncing around in it. And if that box is small, you're going to hit that grief button all the time. So the answer is to grow a bigger life, grow, make that box bigger. And every now and then, like, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, this week that button was hit for me because seeing my family in the news denying, um, and they absolutely don't run gay conversion therapy, but conversion mm-hmm. practices is an entirely different topic. Um, but seeing them in the I mean, news. It's woven into the fabric of our religion. It is. It is absolutely woven into the fabric of our religion. Um, so and different churches just kind of hammer down on it in different ways. But that grief button was hit for me because it was up in my face and it was hard to deal with. And in those moments, 
I did pop a thing up on Facebook saying, look, I just can't deal with everybody's DMs right now. I'll be back to being the supportive person that I am later, but right now I've got to take care of this. Yeah. This this feeling of overwhelm and and that's okay. Yeah. That feeling will revisit you, but it doesn't mean that all is lost. It doesn't mean that um, all the work you've done is meaningless. It just means it's progress. And every now and then, yeah. you remember a part of your life that meant a lot to you. So, yeah. And Glennon Doyle points out that anxiety is sometimes the price of love, <laughs> and mm-hmm. sometimes we feel anxious for people um, that we love. So you know that's mm-hmm. a thing too. Um, oh, that's a, a big one for me is that you can't make anyone feel anything. Mm-hmm. That's been a really big like um, obstacle and realization for me to get over mm-hmm. because I was taught that if you say the right things and you do the right things, then they're going to see God in you and God's mm-hmm. going to speak through you mm-hmm. and win them to the kingdom. You know, this this whole thought of if you do X, Y, Z, then this will happen. Yeah. But in reality, you can't make anyone believe something. You can't make anyone feel anything. You're only responsible for yourself. That's actually been really helpful for me in going through my five stages of grief in quick succession and in over the period of years and repeating steps as needed, because I know what I'm feeling and I know what I'm going through. And it is not my job to make anyone else feel good about what I'm going through. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really interesting. And um, you can't make anyone feel anything because I don't know whether you were told this about how feelings lie. Um, yeah, it was a lot of churches, some churches talk about how feelings lie. Your feelings can lie to you. Actually, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess like Satan is the great deceiver and he'll come yeah, in yeah. and make you feel things. And yeah, just because you feel horny, that's the devil talking yeah, to you. Yeah. You're not actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All of that. Feelings can't lie though, because they're actually just, they're just your limbic system in action. They're just your hormones in action. Feelings aren't sentient, you know, things mm-hmm. like, um, so if you're feeling something, just accept that you're feeling it is is part of um a, a good part of recovery i think any wisdom- and if you can't make it to acceptance um identification is a really okay. nice like first step yeah like i'm feeling restless yeah i'm feeling anxious and saying that kind of in a whisper or out loud to yourself is a really um self-aware way to get on the path to accepting negative yeah. feelings. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. And in terms of humor, what's some of the best resources that you've found for people in terms of, <laughs> of, of laughing at their deconstruction? And I'm going to name the first <laughs> one at angry church kid on Instagram. Go give that one a follow. <laughs> she, you've had to just um, kind of surrender your anonymity, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to some degree, I, I, I blocked like eight people before I made my first post. Oh, really? Nice. So, yeah, my, you know, I, my, my parents, I have two sets of parents. They divorced when I was one and then re- married their current spouses when I was one and a half. So I've just always had four parents. Yeah. Wow. Um, so one set of parents, is uh they've kind of deconstructed as well um they grew up baptist and methodist and they were very churchy and they they raised us very churchy but they are not anymore Mm. and um you know they get the idea of like dirty socialists (laughs) have you seen that quote 
Like it's weird being raised by Christians, being taught you're supposed to care about people. And then you're like, hey, care about people. And they're like, shut up, you stupid socialist. (laughs) No, but that, that tracks. (laughs) It's so good. And they, that's where we're, we're kind of all at the same time. They know about my account. Um, I don't think they listen to podcasts, but if they do, hi guys. Um, and <laughs> then my other set joke. of parents, yeah, everything's a dick joke. They love dick jokes too. So um, they make sex jokes all the time. I'm like, okay, it's still weird guys. <laughs> it's never going to not be weird with your parents though. Like, it's yeah. Just, yeah. But then the other set of parents, they are still very conservative and very churchy. And my dad still sends me, you know, Bible verses occasionally through texts that are like, Hey, you're, uh, you're going to go to hell and I'm sad about you, but I'm really proud of you and you're doing great. <laughs> that's an interesting so that's dichotomy. Fun. Do you, do you yeah, ever so send I- him scriptures from song of Solomon going, I saw this in thought of you. <laughs> no, don't. Oh God, that was weird. <laughs> I, I've definitely thought about sending the ones that are like, you know, strike the infants upon the rocks and <laughs> where like God killed 42 children like teenagers because they said that guy was bald yeah yeah like those sorts of things I'm like this is the god you follow this is you're cool with this like this is the loving god that you say god is definitely pro yeah and then it's the whole abortion debate the one that makes me laugh is the one where Jonathan and David like got naked to hug um Yeah, That's they were totally, totally just best friends, though. They were t- that was you know a sign <laughs> Nothing, of the times. Men yeah. got naked with each other all the time back then, don't you know? Context. Nothing to see here. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they weren't lovers. It's fine. It's fine. It's it's all fine. <laughs> It's fine if men get naked, but if women get naked, that's what starts wars because it's their fault. Yes, yes, yes. It's always, always the women, always the women. Exactly. Uh, so, yes, so sorry, yeah, um, follow me because I'm hilarious. Mm-hmm. And um, can, can... the Dirty Rotten Church Kids are are near and dear to my heart. I'm part of their Patreon. I'm part of that um, Discord family and all my my Discord peeps whom I love. Um, and then I really like. Jesus unfollower. He's really funny. He posts a lot of memes and he's been out of the church uh, scene for about as many years as me, but he's been more active on Instagram and podcasts and all of that for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of early on in the, the deconstruction social media part of it. And his meme game is strong. Okay. Um, and then the last one I'll plug is that loud deconstructing one. Ah, her, yes, um, I've seen her. Yes. Her name's Julia and she's hilarious. And she posts great memes and videos and she's yeah. she's great. I have noticed that um, the women in this sphere are a lot less uh, popular and successful than the men. But 70% of my followers are women and 70% of the discord is women right be- because we've all come to the conclusion that this system does not serve us yeah and is designed to pull us down yeah um but mm-hmm. the men tend to stay in it especially the white men tend to stay in it because it's a system that serves them and puffs up their egos. Yeah. But on Instagram, that's not, um, you know, Instagram and podcasts and and whatever uh, books and stuff that's not represented. The men's voices are still um, higher and more elevated. It's like, I I love all of the men, 
but it's it's an interesting dichotomy like you'd think that yeah. there would be more women voices that I say the name of it and you're like oh yeah I know that one you know yeah. what I mean yeah it's interesting it's like we're still deconstructing patriarchy mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And I mean, there's layers to this because we're still deconstructing patriarchy out there in the real world too. Like, um, for sure. So, uh, yeah. So, I guess a good message behind that is support your women uh, content creators. Right. And hey, I'm fine with saying that because I'm a woman content creator. Anyway, yeah, you are. <laughs> this conversation has been a laugh with a lot of nuggets of wisdom kind of inters- interspersed. So, um, thank you so much. And for- dicks. Yes. <laughs> And so if you take anything away from this conversation, make sure you find the humour to go alongside the serious when it comes to deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Make sure you understand the um, the different uh, kind of stages of grief and, and, and realise that identifying what you're going through is a powerful tool to kind of removing its power to cripple you. Mm. And also find the you know everything is a dick joke and um (laughs) i think that's very very healthy (laughs) carissa thank you so much for being on untouchable today i'm kit kennedy um and i'll be back very soon all right thank you so much